Pastor to mission control. Pastor to mission control. I seem to have arrived on a strange new world, strange new planet. There doesn't seem to be any signs of life. And I hope I don't die as I try to emerge. This is smaller than it looks. Oh, there is life. There is life here. <laughs> Greetings, people from a strange new world. I come in peace from a great foreign land known as Texas uh, to bring you the word of God today. Hey, doesn't this place look great? Can we give it up for our team? Y'all. I got to tell you, they did an, a phenomenal job, and it looks like work, and I got to tell you, it's probably more work than it looks like, which is a sign of good work. These guys uh, spent a lot of time this week. If you look through the hallways, if you didn't check in kids, you may not have seen that we've got uh, the stars all over the place. These were like handmade. You know, we have tablecloths that they've then splatter painted. These guys spent hours upon hours making this place look absolutely awesome. So we are so grateful for them and very excited because the reason they spent all that time is because we know that this is an incredible opportunity God has given us to pour into not only our kids, but the kids here in our community. So we are very excited, and I hope you are too. If you see someone wearing a shirt that looks like mine today, that means they are serving in Vacation Bible School. And I know we probably have some who are serving that didn't have their shirt today, but we have so many adult leaders who are helping make this happen. And we are grateful for each and every one of you. And we believe God is going to do some absolutely incredible things through his people as we just love on the kids that he gives us this week. So please pray uh, and support that in, in all the different ways that, that you can. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1, that's not a made up, some of you are like, quit messing with us. That is a book of the Bible. Uh, if you need help finding it, it's right between Zephaniah and Zechariah, okay? So uh, I would encourage you, don't be a hero, use the table of contents, or we'll be here all day. I do have to read this text at some point. Also, we're starting a brand new series called Seek, and I want to direct your attention out in the lobby at our invitation station. You can find uh, some brand new Seek cards that then have information about our service times and our website on the back. So please, on your way out, grab one of these and pray about who you could invite. Uh, this series is going to take us through the next several weeks as we think about what it means to be intentional about seeking Jesus. And as we do that, I believe he is going to bless us and bless others who join us on this journey of seeking the Lord. I was reminded as I studied for this text of a text that happened really about 100 years before we even get to Haggai here in the Old Testament. And around 630 B.C., there was a king named Josiah. Now, Josiah was unique in the fact that he was eight years old when he began reigning as king. So if you feel like you haven't done much with your life, uh, just know that there was an eight-year-old who God used to really bring revival to his people. So, so the way the story goes is that uh, uh, Josiah knew that God's people had wandered far from him. In fact, they had a succession of bad kings, people who led God's people away from the Lord and away from his commands. And because of that, uh, God's people really were under his discipline and under hardship and going through difficult times. And from this emerges an eight-year-old king who says something's got to change. Something's not quite right. So if you don't think it's worth investing in our children this week, can we just say revival came to the people of God through an eight-year-old? 
So, so this is why we're passionate. This is why we're willing to go all out for vacation Bible school and things like this. But this eight-year-old king started making some changes and said, hey, why don't we get back to doing things the Lord's way? And one of the things that he had them do was clean out the temple. The temple had gotten in bad shape. They apparently had decorated for VBS once and never undid it, right? Uh, and it was just looking wild. And they said, we need to really clean this place out. So they go to clean out the temple. And as they're cleaning out the temple, they find this ancient looking scroll maybe somewhere back in a closet that was full of other things and they find this scroll and they say huh interesting what is this deal they unroll it and as they unroll it and spend some time looking at it they say this seems important let's take this to the king so they go to Josiah and they show him this scroll and he says this does look important he gets some of his advisors and people to look at it and what they realize that this is it's the very word of God. It's the scriptures. It's the, the Pentateuch. It's the beginning of the Old Testament. And it's the covenant that the Lord had made with his people. And at some point, somehow, some way, it had been completely disregarded. Well, if you want to read the rest of the story, you can go to 2 Kings 22 and 23 and see that Josiah had this book read aloud to the people and they repented and they renewed the covenant and God brought revival to the people of God when they found the word of God but but here's what I want to just ask today how do you lose the Bible like this is the temple these were the priests like they had one job and somehow they lose the Bible it's relegated to a closet somewhere, and not only do they abandon the Word of God, but they had abandoned the God of the Word. So how in the world does this happen? I don't pretend to know every little detail, but, but I can almost assure you what didn't happen. There wasn't a day where the priests got together and said, you know, this scroll thing seems outdated and backward. Let's just bail on it. Had they done that, rightfully so, the people of God would have been like, no way, man, that's not how this works. But can I tell you what happens slowly but surely? Little choice after little choice happened, and the people of God got further and further away from the Word of God and the God of the Word to finally, at a certain point, it's just stuck back in a closet, lost for another generation to rediscover Friends, I'm afraid that the same kind of thing can happen to us if we're not careful. If we're not careful, we can disregard the Lord and His power and His presence in our lives. And this happens before we even know it. And I want to send a warning shot to you today because I think it's important to do that. We have multiple pilots in our church and they've confirmed that I'm not just, you know, uh, making this up out of nothing, all right? This is, this is a real thing. You think about it, it makes sense. If you are just a couple degrees off on a flight pattern, the further you go, the further away you get from the destination. So, so some of you, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, man, my life's a mess. Straight up, I know it. I need to turn the plane around. Like, that's why I'm here, Rusty. Like, I came today knowing that my life needs to change. Some of you are there, but there's some of you who might be pretty comfortable today, yet you would admit you're just a couple degrees off right you know there's some things you probably need to tweak at some point and get straight and get figured out in your life and maybe you've even been lulled into feeling okay about that like everybody's got their struggles right like yeah nobody's perfect yet what's happening is if we don't stop today and ponder our lives and consider 
our ways, if we don't think carefully about the way in which we're living, you and I could end off way off course. So my prayer for us today is that we would be like the people of God and that we would indeed think carefully about our ways. We're going to find ourselves here in Haggai chapter 1, over a hundred years after Josiah's reign, the people of God once again had drifted away from him. They had forgotten the Lord and God in his grace doesn't leave them. Instead, he sends them a messenger named Haggai to confront them. So let's read this together, the first 11 verses of this short book, and then we'll pray and ask the Lord to help us understand his word. So Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, the word of the Lord says this, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltil, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thank you, Lord, for getting me through verse 1. <laughs> Always. The Lord of armies says this, These people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now the Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. The Lord of armies says this, Think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber, and build the house, and I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of armies, because my house still lies in ruins, while each of you is busy with his own house. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I've summoned a drought on the fields and the hills, on the grain, new wine, fresh oil, and whatever the ground yields on people and animals and on all that your hands produce. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us today to understand your word? We want to be a people who take this opportunity you're giving us to think carefully about our ways. So Lord, would by your spirit, would you just convict us where we need to be convicted, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and help us, Lord, to be a people who follow you and seek you with everything that we are. Lord, forgive us for our half-hearted pursuit of you and give us a heart that longs for you because you say that when we seek you, we will find you. So Lord, may we just stop today and consider our ways and respond by seeking you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, again, just to establish the context, about a hundred years after Josiah, we have God's people once again in a season of disobedience. In fact, after Josiah, as the people again drifted away from the Lord, they got to the point where their disobedience led to God's gracious judgment. And judgment doesn't sound gracious, but God in His grace loves us too much to leave us the way we are. 
So he allows his people to be taken captive by the Babylonians. In fact, many of the people of God were taken to Babylon and they are captives and God's people, really Jerusalem is in many ways just completely destroyed. Only a few are left there and they take the people and go to Babylon. So the people are in captivity, but then uh, in the midst of God's judgment, the people realized, wait a second, do you remember the Lord? So they begin to repent and as the people of God repent, God begins to change their circumstances and God leads them back to Jerusalem. And he does that through letting the Babylonians be conquered by the Persians. And a guy named Cyrus said, hey, you people can go back to Jerusalem, but I'm going to rule over you. So the exiles are able to return to Jerusalem. Now, it's been 20 years, so think about this. This wasn't just a quick thing, and they got back and just were fixing up their houses. This is two decades later. The people of God are there, but the temple had not been touched. The temple had not been rebuilt. So the Lord is frustrated with this and sends Haggai to bring this word to his people. Now, you need to understand God is not being petty when he says, so you all live in nice houses and mine is in shambled, right? He's like, you with your fancy paneling, it's like, well, you know, 2023 paneling's kind of out, but you know what I mean. Like, like, you're living in your nice houses and my house is in ruins. God's not petty, though. Here's what you need to understand. Throughout the Old Testament, the temple of God represented the power and presence of God. So for God's people to disregard the temple, they were essentially disregarding the Lord. They were disregarding him. They weren't considering him. They weren't thinking about him. They were just going on about their lives. In fact, verse 9 said it this way, while each of you is so busy with his own house. They were just so busy doing them, doing their lives, doing what they thought was important that they had not stopped to consider the house of the Lord. They had not considered the Lord at all. So you need to know that God is not being petty when he says, what about the temple? But instead, God is actually calling them and reminding them, I am here. Meet with me. Come and experience my presence. And he does this by sending Haggai with an important message. And that message is to think carefully about your ways. Think carefully about your ways. Now, I, I want to just say that oftentimes we go through life so quick that we never really stop to think about anything, right? I mean, we're just running. That's how our world works today. We have AI now. We don't have to think anymore. We just, you know, this sermon is brought to you, but no, I'm kidding. It's not. It's all original content, right? Grade B minus original content. Uh, so turn in your evaluations later. It's fine. But we don't pause to think, do we? We just kind of go, 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 go. And this is the way our culture works. And this is what the people of God were doing for two decades. And hey, hey, listen, there had to be a lot to do, right? Think about it. Going home to a place that had been abandoned for years. I, I think about uh, Southeast Texas after we had a hurricane come through and 40 homes in our community were flooded. There was work to do. And man, for, for several months, families were trying to figure things out and starting to put their lives back together. I, I can only imagine what this city looked like and what this people were experiencing. But at some point, 
what started out as maybe a legitimate the ox is in the ditch so we're working on the sabbath became we're just completely disregarding the lord and doing our own thing The Lord invites each and every one of us to think carefully about our ways. By the way, that phrase, think carefully about your ways, is used twice in this passage, five times in only two chapters that are in this book. So this is really the theme of the book of Haggai. If you're ever reading a book of the Bible and see a phrase over and over and over, the Lord's probably trying to tell you something. And it's astounding to me that 3,000-ish years ago, the Lord had a word for his people through Haggai, and here we are sitting in Wichita, Kansas, like I said, 3,000-ish years later, and this word, I believe, is powerful and relevant for you and me, just as it was for the people of God. Think carefully about your ways. Really, y'all, this is what the Sabbath is all about. This is why Sunday is important. Listen, we unplug from our ordinary, everyday schedule. We stop doing what we just normally do. We, we stop going to work. We stop cleaning up the yard. We stop going to play golf. We stop all of our different things. And together, we come here today to pause for a moment and acknowledge the Lord's presence and work in our lives together as a congregation to let Him speak to us and to challenge us and to change us. So that as we go on about our lives, busy with our own houses, we do not forget the Lord our God. Do you approach the Sabbath that way? Is this important to you? It should be, friends. The ESV uses that same phrase, but it just simply says, consider your ways. Think about the way you're living. And I think it's important just to honestly stop and evaluate your lives sometimes. Proverbs 4.26 is just a, a really weird verse in the Bible. It just says this, think carefully about how you walk. Now, some of you may have some physical ailments that cause you to have to think carefully about how you walk. But, but for many people, isn't walking just something we do? I have littles, and you know how that goes. We'll be walking, and they are very confident, but sometimes it's misplaced confidence. They've learned to walk, and they walk well. They run well when they need to. Go so slow when you need them to hurry, but then when you need them to slow down, they are the fastest little kids in the world, right? Oh, but when we're walking to the church on the sidewalk and our uneven sidewalks that have spots where you're going to trip and fall, we have to say, watch where you're going. Watch where you're going. Watch where you're going. But, but can I tell you, at a certain point, we stop thinking about it, don't we? Like, I didn't see many of you walking in today going, uh, right foot, left foot. Yeah, some of you, again, Pastor Brad's right here. He's like, hey, take it easy. I try to walk beside him. I just don't want him to, you know, it's just scary. So, so, so here's the thing. We don't really think about how we walk. We just do it oftentimes so the wisdom in the proverbs and what the lord is reminding us today with this call to stop and evaluate our lives is that sometimes we do need to think about the way we're living don't just go through life but instead stop and think carefully about your ways you need to stop and ask yourself what what am i seeking what am i living for am i ignoring the power and presence of god in my life you may say, well, what does that look like, Pastor? Well, again, we said the temple in the Old Testament is where the people went to experience God and His presence. But what we know on this side of the cross is that the New Testament tells us that you and I are a temple of the Holy Spirit. 
This is incredible, guys. You, you need to, if you're not aware of this, this should change your life, just this truth from this message today. That if you are in Christ, if you have been saved, then the Holy Spirit of God, God himself, resides in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Yet here's my question, guys. Do we live in the reality of that very often? Do you live like that's true? Or, or is it so easy to live in a way that completely ignores the reality of God's presence in our lives? You can go all day without even thinking about the Lord. Even on a church day. It's so easy to live our life as if the Lord doesn't exist. God is inviting us, though, to think carefully about our ways. He's going to do this in this text, first by warning us of the danger of seeking the wrong things. The danger of seeking the wrong things. Look at verse 6. It said, you've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. Again, back to verse 9 where it says you're busy with your own house. You're busy, 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 but you are never actually satisfied. Does this text describe some of us if we're just willing to be honest today? Always striving, but never actually satisfied. Always pushing and working and trying to find something to, to make us who we think we need to be, but we never get there. Friends, we need to understand that nothing will satisfy our hearts apart from the Lord. And this text says you can keep stuffing things into your bag, but it's a bag full of holes. <laughs> It's like trying to grasp that sand, like we talked about about materialism for a few weeks, that we all work so hard, but it's for things that do not matter. Friends, the things that we tend to seek and spend most of our time, energy, effort, and our lives pursuing are things that will not matter in a hundred years. Think about that. Isn't that a, a sobering thought? I, I mean, if we, we can get even closer the stuff you're worried about today most of the time won't matter next month the thing you had trouble sleeping about last night will not matter possibly even next week yet we live our lives consumed with things that are temporary can i tell you when you stand before the lord you're not going to care how far your kid could hit a baseball when we stand before God, you're not going to worry about how much you had in your bank account, how much you're leaving to your kids. You know the Bible says they're just going to blow it anyways. I'm just, I'm reading the Bible. Get mad at me if you want, it's in the Bible. But Dave, ran, re, you know, select certain Proverbs, but I mean, there's, there's other ones there that say, yeah, keep storing it up, good luck. Here's the reality, friends. If we keep seeking the things of the world we're going to find ourselves looking like verse 6. I'm working and I'm working and I'm working. I just can't seem to get there. I eat and I eat and I eat, but I'm never full. I'm never satisfied. I drink and I drink and I drink. I'm never happy. I don't think that's talking about water. 
We're just trying to fill our lives with things that can make us who we want to be. But at the end of the day, we never get there. The world says, go and get all the things. Get your bag. But it's a bag full of holes. So let's just get real honest today. Some of you are like, wow, we're, we're coming in hot on VBS day. It's fine. Are you content? Like, if you honestly look at your life today, are you satisfied with where you're at? I think so many of us live with this constant, in this constant state of being unsettled and discontent. And we live in a culture that absolutely feeds that. Constantly, the culture is trying to sow discontentment in you. But I want to tell you that what we often see is a bad thing. I believe this. I think discontentment is actually a work of God's grace in your life. You're like, well, I thought that's a sin. Here's what I want to tell you. Discontentment is a sign of God's grace. Here's why. Because discontentment is just revealing to you the worthlessness of the things you're seeking. And when the worthlessness of what you're seeking is exposed, it drives you to the only place where your heart can find true contentment. Augustine famously said it this way, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. Friends, we're called today to think carefully about our ways. So instead of seeking the wrong things, this text is going to invite us to seek the Lord and his presence. Seek the Lord and his presence. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me again. The Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways. So notice that double working. So back in the uh, verse 5, it said the Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways, and it warns us of seeking the wrong things. Now the text says the Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways, and look what it says. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber, and build the house, and I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. Now, both of those sections started off with this bold statement, the Lord of armies. Your translations may say, the Lord of hosts. Here's what I want to tell you. This is absolutely an incredible thing that's happening here in the text. The Lord of armies. What this is saying is that the God who has all of the hosts of heaven, all of the angels, all of the spiritual beings in this world are at his beck and call and at the word they respond and do his bidding. The same God who by a word is holding the very universe and everything in the cosmos together by the word of his immovable power. This God, the Lord of armies, is inviting you and me to stop seeking the worthless things of the world and instead to seek him brothers and sisters why would we seek anything else or anyone else the lord of armies says think carefully about your ways you can seek me and when you seek me you will find me isn't it incredible to think about verse 8 says go get some lumber start building some of you are thinking, all right, I can do that. Some of you guys are like, finally, a sermon I can. You know. Listen, we don't need to go start, but this isn't a, we're not trying to pay the building off. Like, I'm not about to present some, hey, your houses all look nice. Let's get this thing squared. No, that's not what we're doing here. We, we almost wish it was something like that, right? We wish it was a tangible thing we could just go and get done. But, but here's what I think the text is calling us to do. The call of this text 
is intentionality. We said this last week, but it's worth mentioning again. The call of this text is to be intentional about seeking the Lord. Here's what I want to tell you, friends. Seeking the Lord doesn't just happen. Seeking the Lord doesn't just happen. We kind of live in this Bible Belt Midwestern world where we just find ourselves thinking that showing up and being at the right places, being a good person, making the right choices, and raising a good family, and all this good stuff, we can be good and godly. But here's what you need to know, friends. If we are not intentionally seeking the Lord, it's not going to happen. This takes planning. Seeking Jesus, really, it takes work. It takes intentionality. We got to go up in the mountain and get some lumber, right? We, we got to arrange our lives around this. And in a very real sense, what, what I'm hoping this series will be for us over the next few weeks it's some time up on the mountain together trying to make a battle plan. Let's gather up the supplies. Let's do what we need to do to pay attention to the temple of God in our lives. Let's do what we need to do to seek the Lord and His presence. We're going to draw some designs. We're going to get serious together about seeking Jesus. But the question I have for you is, will you do something with this? Or is this just another sermon series? It's just the, oh, this is just a cute little thing he's trying to do for the summer. Or will you respond to the word of God and think carefully about your ways? I, I want to get as practical as I can as we kind of try to wrap this thing up today. What does this look like to seek the Lord and his presence? I want to point you to one of my favorite verses in scripture. In fact, the Lord must like this verse because it's in there twice. Psalm 105.4 it is a prayer that is also echoed in 1 Chronicles 16.11. And here's what it says. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. You know, when people have asked me to define prayer, this is a verse that I've pointed to. I think that's about as simple a definition of prayer as you can get. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. And what you find, friends, when you seek the Lord is that we have a, a God who desires to be found. Jeremiah 29, 13, I love that verse. It says, if you, you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And God was talking to his people when he said that, but that principle still applies to us today, friends, that when we seek the Lord, we have a Lord that desires to be found. And when we seek him, we find him. He desires to be known. The Lord of armies wants to have a relationship with you. Even you. Isn't that amazing to think about? So the call today is to seek the Lord in His presence. Seek His strength. Find your strength. Find your very strength for living and walking each and every day in Christ. Seek His face today. Be intentional about doing it. Because we have a God who desires to be known. We're going to talk about what it looks like to do that in the weeks ahead. But I want to point you to one more scripture here in chapter 2 of Haggai. Because here's something interesting. If you read through the Old Testament prophets, which probably, let's just be honest, a lot of you, you know, probably haven't. Because it's tough sledding sometimes. And even those of you who did, you're like, how dare you? I do the Bible in a year every year. Okay, give me a synopsis of the prophets. All right, that just uh, we don't need to. Some of you probably could, but it's a lot happening there. It's complicated. It's tough. 
But here's something incredible that happens that doesn't happen very often. Usually, these prophets go unresponded to. It's, it's pretty tough for a pastor to read the prophets. We measure everything, you know, by how many people are coming to your church. Are you growing? How many people? How many can you seat in your auditorium? What's your giving been like these days? Uh, rank the prophets of God in the Old Testament by that standard. There were a bunch of bozos, if that's the standard. Because not only did people not listen to them, they lost followers. They were in the negatives, right? They didn't only not have followers, they had people trying to kill them most of the time. And if God called me to do some of the things he called them to do, uh, you would probably fire me today. I'm not going to go there. I've got a couple examples. <laughs> I'm just founding pastors here like, move on, pastor, move on. Uh, I'm just going to give you some references, and they'll be your memory verse later. He cooked his food over what? It's fine. Um, so let the hearer understand. So, but in this case, the people of God responded they responded look at chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 here's what it says for the Lord of armies says this so that same refrain that we've seen multiple times once more in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth the sea and the dry land I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory Friends, when the people of God think carefully about their ways and respond to the Lord and put Him in His rightful place, I believe that God stands ready to shake things up in the best way possible. Some of you say, well, then why hasn't that happened? I do want to note that the text said, in a little while. Why you got to be so vague, Lord? I need the date. I need the time. When's revival going to come to our church? When's revival going to come to our nation? I'd like to know. But can I tell you, the Lord has invited us to be ready. To go up into the mountains and get some lumber and come and start building. To seek the Lord in His face. To seek His presence continually. So God used an eight-year-old to bring revival to His people. And then, several years later, God uses Haggai to bring this word to his people. And the people of God, the, the plain old basic people of God like us, stopped and evaluated their lives. They thought carefully about their ways. And when they started to seek the face of God, revival came to his people. There's a lot of talk about revival in our world today, isn't there? And don't we need it? Don't we long for it today? So we're looking for that, that sermon that will make it happen. Or maybe if we could have just worked one more key change into holy, 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 just it, fire would have fallen down. Right? But, but can I tell you that every personal revival in my life has come when I just stopped and honestly evaluated my life. And in response to what I saw, I repented and I said, Lord, I'm going to start seeking your face. You're going to be my strength. Your face is what I desire. I'm going to stop seeking all these other things and I'm going to seek you. And friends, I believe that if individuals, families, and if this church were to seek the Lord and His strength and to seek His face continually, that we indeed could be a people who experience, see, and the Lord uses to bring revival to this nation. But it starts with stopping. Isn't that so counterintuitive? Stop today. And think carefully about your ways. 
Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it brings to us today. Lord, we know that as your people, it's so easy to go around just trying to build our own houses, to do our own things, to live our own lives. Yet, Lord, we know that you have called us to be a people who live differently, who seek your face, who seek your presence. So Lord, as we start this new journey, thinking about what it means to seek you, I pray that over these next few weeks, seeds that are being planted now would take root in our lives, Lord, and that there would be fruit that is born out of this as we continue to think about what it looks like to seek you and live for you. God, would you help us to be a people who live out the truth of that verse? God, thank you for your power and presence. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to all get together and go to a temple. But Lord, you reside in us. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you. And we pray, God, that you would help us to respond in the way that brings you honor and glory.